0: This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics.
1: And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track, over his head. And over the wall! Do you believe that? And
2: 29 other MLB clubs.
1: Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away, back, Go on. Go Hayes, It's a bomb out there by the run. Boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judge in blast. All rise. Here comes the Judge.
3: Join us as we take
0: you inside the baseball universe, from humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us
3: next from the town, only on Ace Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Welcome everybody to a Monday edition of A's Cast Live. As we are officially in our winter shows, we'll be for be with you from one to three today. We'll also be here on Wednesday. We'll also be here on Friday as we're just going to inch closer to the winter meetings in San Diego. The great John Shea from the San Francisco Chronicle will be here at one fifteen, and Robert Murray at 2 o'clock from Fansided. You know, we only have two hours today, so not a whole lot of time to get into this. As we will talk about, Rookie of the Year is going to get announced today. Uh, We'll probably stay on a little bit longer today because the Rookie of the Year is, well, actually, they won't announce it right away. I think It's supposed to be at 3 o'clock, but they'll drag it out with a show on MLB Network. So, no, we won't be on today. Um Julio Rodriguez, I think, will be the winner in the American League, even though Adley Rushman could easily win it. Uh, catcher of the Baltimore Orioles. He's definitely worthy of it. Uh, Michael Harris, the second, I gotta think, is the major front runner over his teammate, uh, Spencer Strider in the National League. Not really, um gonna be a lot of drama there for the National League.
2: There's a third oh, Brendan Donovan from the St. Louis card, yeah. Utility guy, yeah.
3: he is not. Stephen Kwan could be there in the American League, but I think your winners will be uh, Julio Rodriguez and Michael Harris the second. All right, quickly, I want to tell you, I had a whole weekend to think about this, so I just spent basically Friday, Saturday, Sunday in the biggest little city in the world, that is Reno, Nevada, and if you watch politics. Um, for some reason, people on the East Coast who get paid to be so-called journalists call it uh, call it Nevada. Not Nevada, Nevada. They can't figure out how to uh, <laughs> how to uh, say the proper name of the state, one of the great 50 states, the Silver State. But I was in Reno, Nevada and sitting in a casino for three days. I just started looking around, and for the first time, instead of just sitting there watching the football games and betting the football games, I really sat back and really just observed and listened and listened to the big group that I was in, and I listened to the other people, and I started to realize something. That football, it is so much bigger than you just watching the game. Now, that's kind of Captain Obvious, but it's gotten to be so much bigger that baseball really needs to pay attention to this because we can sit here and we can say we need pitchers to pitch faster. We need bases that are bigger. No shifting. No throwing over to first. That's all going to help. But people aren't watching football anymore to actually watch the sport. Some of you may do, but a lot of people aren't. Its popularity has absolutely changed, not because of the actual play on the field. When you have so many people who are gambling on this sport, because fantasy sports, how many do you have? How many teams? Uh, two. It's gambling. It's gambling. And the old argument is, we had a conversation before the show, and Cody brought the old argument in. Well, it, it's, you know, it's only once a week. That doesn't play anymore. People are watching football all day Sunday, teams that have absolutely nothing to do with who they care about. Nothing to do. You had people in the casino at 6 a.m. to watch the Seahawks. You got people at 5, what time was kickoff of the Niner game? Uh, 5.15, I think, or 5.20, somewhere in there. You got people on Monday nights, Thursday nights. Everybody's doing it. College football on Saturdays. College football is played on Tuesdays. What night do we not have football? You know what night that is? And they don't even do that anymore. Used to be football allowed Friday night lights, high school football to have its day. We don't even do that anymore.
2: Yeah, we've been to a few San Jose State games that were college football related on Fridays. Football
3: is every single day now. So the argument of it's once a week is garbage. And you have all these people who are paying attention to the red zone. You have all these people paying attention to all the different things that they do. That has nothing to do with their team and their brand loyalty. And frankly, there is no brand loyalty. Because if I had to hear yesterday, one more time, a buddy of mine say, oh, he's on my fantasy, you know, he's on my fantasy. Football has gotten people, and I'm not saying the NFL, because the NFL was anti-fantasy football. The NFL was anti-gambling. They were anti-office pools. This has nothing to do with the NFL. They finally embraced it, but they had nothing to do with it. Fantasy football, I looked at the origin, started actually with the Oakland Raiders and an Oakland Raider employee in 1962. His name was Bill Winkenbach. Where were you in 1962? Not with the Raiders. (laughs) And it wasn't until 1997 that Yahoo Fantasy really took over in 1997, really the origin, and it was Yahoo and CBS Sports. This this craze of people having three, four, five fantasy teams, paying attention to every single game, not caring about the outcome of the game. Gamblers care about the outcome of the game. Just true football fan, But we have now seen football... And I say football, not the NFL. The game of football has locked people in. And it has nothing to do with the outcomes. It's crazy. And they have flown by baseball, flown by the NBA, and flown by hockey was never there. Yesterday, they popped up on the board, the Utah Jazz. This is a great point. Yesterday, on one of the major screens, they popped up, the Utah Jazz, and the Philadelphia 76ers. And here you have thousands of people in this big room watching all these different TVs. Nobody was paying attention to that game. Why
2: would you pay attention to the Sixers game yesterday? Uh, fantasy, but not, not, not on, during the NFL. I mean, Joel Embiid did drop 59 points. First player since Iverson to do that, and a no guy,
3: one A guy dropped 59 points, and a whole group of people didn't even pay attention. What about the Warriors? Did people watch the Warriors game? Nope. Warrior game came on. They had Warrior pregame. No one was even paying attention. Yeah, the game started right right in the middle of Sunday Night Football. And I guarantee you the ratings were way down. They have found a way, and now that the NFL has embraced fantasy, embraced basically gambling, they have hooked you. They've hooked the kids. They've hooked parents. Parents are doing fantasy football with their kids. A buddy of mine said, you know, one of the great, because I started asking questions. I started asking questions. Why do you do it? One of the reasons why people get into leagues is because it helps them keep up their relationship with their friends. People get married. People have kids. People have jobs. People have lives. But what does fantasy do? It helps people stay in touch with their buddies All these high school kids, all these teenagers, boys, girls, they got my I've got my daughters have friends who have who have fancy football teams. They got fancy football teams with their dads and their moms and there's there's mom leagues, dad leagues. They've figured out a way to hook you and it's not about the brand loyalty of a team. Do, I mean, do you you think I Anybody gave a crap about Lions-Bears yesterday unless you had fantasy or money on it? Baseball's got to figure out a way. Here's an example. We're not allowed to play fantasy, fantasy baseball as major league baseball employees. You can as NFL employees. Now, there's a cash limit that you can win as an NFL employee. But in baseball, we can't play. Like, this thing that we should be embracing, like, there's cash, there's chance to win. This is a reason to follow the Mariners in the A's on a Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. Baseball's got to figure out a way to get people interested in watching its game based more than just, I grew up with a team, I like the team, and I enjoy, enjoy, you know, I like baseball. They've got to figure out a way. And the great John Shea from the San Francisco Chronicle, our only national baseball writer in the San Francisco Bay Area, joins us here as his alma mater took down my alma mater on Saturday night. Oh, it was a rough one. How are you, John Shea?
4: Yeah, when when you get a defensive tackle who's your quarterback or (laughs) or safety or whatever the heck he was the last few years and you just throw him in a quarterback and he's the conference player of the week, that's not bad, right?
3: Yeah, that is uh, that is true. And, you know, when I think about what I saw this weekend, and I was just talking about it, and the NFL originally did not embrace gambling. The NFL originally did not like fantasy sports. They fought fantasy sports because they weren't making money off of it. CBSSports.com, Yahoo Sports. But somehow, as I was sitting in a casino for three days, John, and I watched how people are so locked into football, not on wins and losses, not on the team you grew. You're a 49er fan. I agree. These people are locked in on fantasy, which guys do they have on each team. It's money on the game. There's so many different things that people are locked in that's not based on the actual game that we don't have in baseball, we don't have in the NBA. I don't know how we do it in baseball, but somehow we've got to figure out a way to get people interested on watching Mariners and A's on a Tuesday night. And it really has nothing to do with the outcome of the game.
4: The GM meetings were in Vegas and I saw firsthand the sports book and, and all the TVs and it's pretty heavy stuff. You know, the Diamondbacks have a uh, betting room just Premises and some other parks are adding that as well. Walk outside, walk fifty feet, go up to the window, and bet. Oh, for sure! But look where we are.
3: Yeah, I'll never forget uh, our last trip to Japan was sponsored by MGM because they're doing the big thing there in Tokyo. They're building this gambling mecca outside of Tokyo. They sponsored our whole series of us being there with with the Seattle Mariners. So, I just, there's got to be a way. I mean, I like the fact that we're going to try new rules. Some will work, some won't. We can be, we can adapt. I mean, that's what human beings do. Our game will adapt the way the other sports adapt. I like we're trying to speed up the game, but in the end, we got to find a way. I mean, all these high school kids now have fantasy teams. They got fantasy teams with their parents. I mean, these these leagues are bringing people together and sharing experiences. It's what we've got to strive to do. By the way, the general manager meetings. Uh, you ran into David Forrest. What were your takeaway for the Athletics down at the at the, not the winter meetings, but at the GM meetings? Well, I think that payroll will go up. I think that they will go
4: after some free agents, obviously low-level free agents, maybe for the first time in a couple of years or mid-level, whatever the case may be. And I think Sean Murphy is going to be traded. They have so much depth at the position with Shea Langeleers and Soderstrom and everyone down, Susek, McCann. You go pretty deep with the catching situation with Oakland. And if you need a third baseman, if you need um an outfielder if you need i mean the rotation a a reliever or two and you could get three guys maybe a couple of them might be major league ready and he actually said rather than you know instead of all those uh prospects that they got from all the trades the three pitchers and the corner infielders i think they're going to focus on getting major league players in response in re, in return for her. so i think sean murphy might go this offseason there's all kinds of buzz at the gm meetings molina is stepping aside in st louis and some other teams are going to need someone behind the plate it's sad to lose a guy like that it's sad to trade a guy like that but it's an easy way to fill holes uh elsewhere on the roster so no matter i mean what he, he won a gold glove two years ago this year he was a silver slugger finalist one of the best young catchers in the game and you have to trade him because I mean, you just don't go out and get a judge or a trade Turner uh, on the free agent market. That's not what Oakland has ever done. So this is the next best thing, trade your asset. And I think they could fill a couple of holes by moving him.
3: And it does make sense, right? Like you think about it, and you don't want to lose a guy, but you got to think of business as a business, is a business and, and you got to operate it that way. And you think that he's dad, he's right in the middle of his prime. You know, you're not going to win right now. So having him in his prime years uh, moving him for other pieces that can help you when you are starting to win. I, I see why teams would do that. It makes, uh, uh, from a standpoint of, well, he'd help you now. Well, you lost 102 games. You're probably, you know, you could <laughs> sign some guys and lose 95 next year. You can actually go get some good players for him that will help you in two, three, four years when you are starting to win again. And Longoliers
4: came up at the perfect spot, right? In- yeah pretty good first name as well Shay um, and Stephen vote was there you saw him all in the corner all those catchers it was vote it was Longoliers, it was Murphy and they were huddling every single day so those young guys learned a lot from vote this year especially down the stretch when all three of them were together they traded thoughts they traded insight and oftentimes vote would just hold court and those two young guys were just listening so it's a great experience. For the two young guys, and now vote is moving on. Um, they have a bench coach opening, but I think uh, Katze is going to get somebody uh, else. I think vote is looking at all kinds of possibilities, whether it's executive, whether it's broadcasting, whether it's coaching, managing in the minors. Who knows? But um, uh, I haven't heard whether vote is front and center because they hadn't talked to him for that opening um, last week during the GM meeting. So um they have a they have an opening to fill but anyway it's it, it's pretty it was pretty cool right to go in that clubhouse and see those catchers huddle in the corner like they always were
3: yeah I mean they got a group that you know when we go position by position and we go by need we just skip right over catcher and that discussion yeah. because we know there's there's a lot more coming so that's going to be real interesting because you can only play one of them so, having a bunch of them doesn't do you a whole lot of good unless they can pick up other gloves and, and play somewhere else. When you were down there in Vegas, did you hear anything that surprised you? Well, um, I, I think,
4: I think uh, you know, Scott Burris held court. Yeah. And he's got so many of the top-end free agents. And I think <laughs> – I think Aaron Judge is going to help determine the value of a lot of these shortstops, as crazy as that might sound. But if he gets, I don't know, eight or nine years and $300 million, you know, then you have the next level of shortstops, the four guys, you know, Bogarts and Trey Turner, um, you know, all the way down, Carlos Correa, uh, Dansby Swanson, and and those are some pretty good frontline shortstops. And all of them are in their 20s, Dansby, the youngest, and, and Turner, and then Correa is the second youngest, then Turner. So, so uh, the, the the thing is, what, what I hear the most, though, when talking to agents uh, who don't represent these guys, because agents who represent those guys would play them up like, um, you know, they're going to make a difference in the organization big time. You're going to go from average to very good with one of these guys. But agents who don't represent those guys will tell you that if you look at the top 100 in anybody's list of prospects, it's just jam-packed with shortstop. So everybody yeah. has one. The A's have a great one, defensively anyway. Um, the Giants across the Bay uh, with Luciano and Crawford moving eventually have one. So um, it, it's like, okay, everybody has a great shortstop coming up. Do you spend that much money on a shortstop? Because shortstop, one agent told me, is a is a young man's position and crawford's 35 coming up on 35 and you know Ripken and jeter those guys played forever ripkin moved to third but the thing is eventually some of these shortstops are going to have to move i don't see bogart's playing shortstop forever um he might have to move to a corner infield spot and and trey turner can play anywhere i mean he can play center he can play second all these key positions he's able to i see correa is a real good fit for a lot of teams because he's like 27 and um, he's he's durable enough to help you, you know now and deep into the future. I think he could stay on short for a long time. But anyway, I I, I think that's kind of it. Is What like, what's going to happen with the shortstop market? Because people behind the scenes says, you know, everyone's kind of got one, or at least one coming up, and uh, these guys are going to be you know 100, 200 million dollar players.
3: Yeah, shortstop is like tight end in the NFL. You draft these guys, you draft the body type, knowing that you can move them. You know, if I draft a tight end, I could bulk him up, make an offensive lineman. I can slim him down, make him a wide receiver. He could play on the defensive side of the ball. Shortstop's the same way. We've seen shortstops go to center field. I mean, it's easy to say move them to third base. They can move all over the diamond because they're so athletic. So you draft a guy knowing that, there's a lot of different guys, a lot of different places you can put them, so that's why you'll see a lot of shortstops in every single organization. It's a very good point, and you know when I start thinking about certain teams, I don't like. For me, business wise, my father always told me, play your cards close to the vest. Don't let people know what you're thinking. But I understand the San Francisco Giants. They've always been very weary about how their fan base is feeling. I mean, obviously, when you put that gamble down on that ballpark, we all remember it as Pac Bell, and you're worried about, hey, are we going to be able to make this thing happen? Of course, they paid it off in record time. (laughs) Everything's been great, three championships. But when their fan base is starting to criticize them, where's the star players? They didn't get the bump off 107 wins, season tickets are down, attendance is down. You know, they want that Bonds-type guy. They want that star player. So they let it leak out that, and I don't know how it leaked out, but it got out, and it had to come from them, that they will not be outspent. Well, what happens if Aaron Judge resigns with the New York Yankees? What happens if Steve Cohen busts out a checkbook that no one else has, and he— I mean, are the Giants just letting that leak so they kind of are able to say, hey, we offered a lot of money, but they didn't take it? Or is this something they're really all in on? We're going to do everything we can to bring him here because they need a little sizzle on the stake. Well, I don't think they had to leak anything. Farhan Zaidi has been up front
4: saying we're going after all these high-entry agents. And he hadn't said that in previous years. He might have behind the scenes, but not publicly like he is now. I mean – He said in in, in Las Vegas that uh, the resources should be able to pay for whatever is out there. And the resources are a plenty. I mean, they were 13th in payroll and they've been top four, top five team in payroll. And it just so happened that they're right about there in attendance and they were also top four, top five in attendance. So what does that tell you? Well, you're not spending as much and now you're a 500 team. And where's the superstar? The San Francisco Giants, I think last year was only the sixth year. They did not have one of the following players. Sixth year since they moved in 1958, Willie Mays, Jack Clark, Will Clark, Barry Bonds, Buster Posey. So last year was the sixth year since 1958, one of those guys was not on their roster. So they've always been a superstar driven team uh they only won the three championships not in the 60s or or the 70s but they were every bit as good as all those other national league teams in the 60s they had the most wins in the decade marshall had the most wins Uh, they finished second five times this was before the wild card and all that stuff but you you win the pennant you go to the world series that was the playoffs so there's an awful lot of funny money in that budget this year and they're talking as much as they're apparently moving and grooving and dealing and wheeling and all this stuff. Um, You know, they've contacted Boris. I assume they've contacted the agent for judge and they have to go after a lot of guys because obviously it takes two to tango and all those cliches. Will judge want to come? Will Turner want to come? Well, judge could want to stay back East. Eventually he he's kind of in an interview I did with him in late August. Kind of hinted, hey, you know, I grew up a Giants fan. I always wanted to be a Giant. You know, that changed when I was drafted by the Yankees, and now it's about business, and now you're a pro. You don't always want to go back to your hometown team. But his parents are a couple hours away. He's very close to the family. It's a little community out in Linden in the San Joaquin Valley it's a small town, and everybody kind of rallies around him. They would his love
3: to... his mother-in-law is still in the school district in Linden. I mean, we've heard, <laughs> we've heard all these things. It's amazing. Yeah, and
4: it's 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 you have to go after him, but you have to go after at least a couple of these shortstop in case somebody doesn't uh, want to come here for whatever reason. And Turner, you know, we keep hearing he wants to go back east. It's either the Dodgers or bust on the West Coast, and it doesn't seem like. He's going back to the Dodgers anyway. Uh, you know, so a lot of teams are going to be in on these guys. So but the, so the Giants, and they're losing Carlos um, Radon, perhaps. So they either have to re-sign him or get someone else to be at the top of the rotation with Logan Webb.
3: You're a great person to ask because you were just down there, and I've been thinking about this, because there was a great article in the USA Today from our friend Bob Nightingale about Dave Dombrowski and Dave getting another team to the World Series. Dave really still bitter about the way he was fired in Boston. You have these teams that have a lot of money. Well, look at the Red Sox, look at the Giants, look at the Cubs, but really kind of the Red Sox and the Giants really wanted to go kind of money ball with money. Now, I always laugh when people bring up money ball because money ball was a necessity. Bean didn't have money. He had to do whatever he could do, scratch and claw, but now all of a sudden what Heim Bloom was brought in, Farhan's brought in, you know, we're gonna place Dombrowski, we're gonna replace Larry Bear, I mean, um Brian Sabian. <coughs> not Larry Bear, sorry, Larry. Uh replace <laughs> replace Brian Sabian. We're gonna do the new school kind of spin less. We're gonna still win, spin less, make more. And and that really it hasn't worked. Did you get the sense? Big market teams playing money ball, not flying right now. Dave Dombrowski made him look bad in Philly. And now that's when you hear Farhan saying, oh, now we're going to spend. Hein Bloom, now we need to spend. Are you getting the sense big market teams need to start acting like big market teams again?
4: Yeah, baseball is so cyclical. If it doesn't work with analytics, let's hire Buck Showalter or Dusty Baker. Um, and if it uh, doesn't work with the old school mentality, like a couple last years, uh, you know, with Bochi, well, let's get Farhan Zaidi and go the extreme other way. That's just the way it's always been. And I imagine it's always going to be that way. I mean, they love Dusty in Houston now. But you remember Houston was on the ground floor of a lot of these newfangled ways of doing things, uh, you know, on the level and sometimes not on the level, as we know now. But, you know, you look at that World Series and you look at the Phillies, it was spend, spend, spend. But the Astros was develop, develop, develop. I mean, it's quite a contrast of the two World Series teams. Dusty managed a team with a homegrown rotation other than Verlander, a homegrown infield, three out of four guys, a couple outfielders, guys in the, the rotation where you look at a lot of the stars on Philly, and they had just signed them over the last couple of three years. So big money, too. So which organization would you like to have? Well, you would like to have the Astros with the homegrown guys and then fill in with, with a harper or whomever um to round it out and to, to to cement a superstar in the lineup and you know right now you know the giants aren't necessarily deep with homegrown talent it was kind of a down year in the minor league system all their top prospects were either hurt or ineffective so we'll see what happens this coming year but in the meantime i think the fan base definitely wants to move on from mixing and matching and platooning. I think even Farhan Zaidi wants to do that, too. It's always better to have regulars in your lineup. You don't have to have the big red machine of the 70s in Cincinnati. But as Bob Melvin told me, he went from Oakland to San Diego. The lineup pretty much was the same every day, maybe one platoon out in center field. But otherwise, you're paying all these guys so much money, you're not going to platoon them. And that's what worked for the Giants two years ago with all those wins. And then didn't work this past year because nobody had career years like they all did the previous year. So a lot of things need to happen if you continue to mix and match and platoon and all that stuff. Um, bullpen your way through a game. That doesn't always work, as we saw in the postseason. Bullpenning, one guy can ruin everything. And you rely on so many people to be perfect, it just doesn't work out so easily as as it might, you know, in in, in you know, on the computer. You'll, but anyway, it's just, that's just a contrast.
3: You'll love this. It was said on the show during the World Series. Ah, Philly, it's a blue-collar team. And someone pointed out that's the most expensive blue-collar team in the history of baseball, no question. Uh, tell me about the HBO Max. They got the documentary coming out. Say, hey, Willie Mays, of course, your great book about Willie Mays, a tribute to one of the greatest players who has ever lived. So one of the greatest. Who is the greatest? Well, you know what's funny? We created all these analytics, right? Because these analytics were supposed to give us new answers. They created all these analytics, and the same guy's atop all these analytics. His name's Babe Ruth. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Every you way- know our friend Eno Saris? Eno Saris, who knows everything about analytics and all the modern-day stats? Yeah. He's quoted in the book saying, you know, Willie could have won seven, eight, or nine MVPs. He won two. But you look at his war he led the national league in war every year oftentimes leading the entire major leagues in war and that's a stat that a lot of people base their mvp vote on um whether you like it or not and who's the best player in the league well let's see who's got the highest war it's not a perfect stat um it doesn't always gauge defense properly uh but it takes into account all of willie's tools hitting hitting with power base running um throwing and fielding and i mean you say babe ruth he could be the best well he didn't have those five tools he didn't defend or throw in the outfield like like mays i mean yes he pitched but you know in the research for this book there were a couple of birmingham newspapers that projected willie mays was going to be a pitcher not a hitter in the big leagues that's how good of an arm he had so if he pitched hey he might have been like the babe as well but you know it's not like Babe is like Otani. He kind of pitched and then he hit. He didn't do this very long uh simultaneously like the man in Anaheim. So anyway, when people say who's the greatest ever, I say, Well, the greatest overall ever. And you could make an argument. Actually, I can't. I can't make an argument as to what his best tool is, because the hitting is as good as his throwing, which is as good as his base running, which is good as defending, which is good as his power game. So it's pretty amazing and the film touches on this but it also touches on a lot of behind the scenes um anecdotes and storytelling from willie's life and career that might not have otherwise been told i did in the book and now it's out on screen the big screen or your little screen on your phone or the big screen (laughs) on your pad whatever you might have um it's an hour and 40 and I, i i really love the concept of it, it's a fabulous film. It really uh, embraces and um, dissects Willie's life and career and you know his life and exemplary life and the, the way he lived and the inspiration, um, it's a huge word for Willie because he was inspired by so many people early on from his dad, Willie Howard May Sr. to Leo DeRocher, to Bill Greeson and all his Negro League teammates, to Piper Davis, his manager in Birmingham, and then, and then Monty Irvin, his first teammate, a Negro League legend with the uh, New York Giants. And then he came to San Francisco in 58, and he wasn't considered the guy who was being mentored. all the time. He was the guy who was mentoring, because there's a young Willie McCovey and there's a young Orlando Cepeda. Years later, a young Bobby Bonds, the Alou brothers. So from then till now, he's been inspiring millions. So this kind of details that journey.
3: What's it like for you though? Enough about Willie Mays. What about you? (laughs) I mean, it's your work, right? I mean, what, what is that like to see it? It's one thing to read it. What's it like to see it?
4: It's it's, I mean, the book was a project of a lifetime and then this film is like part two of a project of a lifetime. I mean, I'm, I'm blessed and lucky and fortunate, all those things that I was even able to develop a relationship with the great Willie Mays because of my access and my presence and my storytelling in the Chronicle. And, and then when I asked him about a book, like long, long time ago, he said, like to see it in classrooms. So we took it inspirationally and young adults, but it's Willie Mays, so all generations and, um, you know, from, from nine to 90 or whatever plus um, would be interested in hearing about Mays Cause everyone's got a Willie Mays story. I mean, there were a thousand people in the audience at the premiere at the Castro a couple of days before it came out on HBO. And I guarantee everybody in the crowd had a Willie Mays story. And when I reached out to people for comments about Willie for the sake of the book and teammates, Negro league legends, managers, commissioners, presidents, musicians, artists, everybody called back. As opposed to maybe when I asked, Comment on a story I'm doing for the Chronicle. If you get five out of ten people responding to your query, that's a good day. But with Mays, you, you bat 1,000. It's pretty amazing.
3: Well, it also takes me back to if Willie never leaves New York, if certain play, if certain Dodger players never leave New York. And that gets me back to where we started this thing. You know, if you're a good team, let's say the Cincinnati Bengals – They'll never call you a small market team. Now, if you're a good team, you're the Cincinnati Reds, same city. Now you're a small market team. We've got to figure out how to not be so regional. We've got to figure out how to not be talking about big markets, small markets. Because, yeah, Willie Mays' greatness – Shouldn't have mattered that it got lost once he moved to San Francisco and a lot of people, obviously a different time. We didn't have cable television. We didn't have packages where we can watch every game. We didn't have these things, cell phones. I mean, that's the one thing that no matter where you play – I mean, Julio Rodriguez today, John is going to win the rookie of the year in the American league. And he pl- he plays in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> We've got to figure out how eyeballs are on him throughout the entire season and just not when his team shows up to play against the Yankees and the Red Sox in the Northeast.
4: Hmm. How do you do that though? I mean, you mentioned uh, what if Willie Mays never left New York? How about this one? What, what if Willie Mays didn't sign with the Giants? You know, His dad said he couldn't sign anywhere with a big league team. And this was three years after Jackie Robinson broke in in 1950 when he graduated high school. The Yankees were there. The Red Sox were there. The Boston Braves were there. The Giants were there, of course. And the Brooklyn Dodgers were there. I mean, he was recommended by Jackie Robinson to the front office because Jackie came by on a barnstorming tour and visited Rickwood Field. And he saw a young Willie Mays. He said, Hey, you should check this kid out. So, as I say in the film, a, a scout named Wid Matthews visited Birmingham, spent a couple of days scouting young Willie Mays, and came back to Brooklyn. And his scouting report was the kid can't hit a curveball. So, imagine if he came back with, Hey, you know what? We should sign this guy. And you can't hit a curveball was kind of code for. The color of a skin doesn't work for us because we already got a quota of two or four. Back then, you had you didn't have one or three because African American players roomed together. They didn't stay in the same hotel, you know. Didn't take the team bus. Didn't eat in the same restaurant. So there were only two and four because they roomed together, you know, somewhere else. And so the Dodgers had their quota. So Willie Mays can't hit a curveball. But imagine that. The Dodgers might not have lost the game in the 60s.
3: Well, think about Hank Aaron. If he's playing in the Northeast and not playing for the Braves, this is a guy who at one point had the most home runs, most RBIs, and a lot of people don't think about this, the third most hits. Only Pete Rose and Ty Cobb had more hits than the great Hank Aaron, and he was very good defensively. What if Willie and Hank were both playing in the Northeast their entire career?
4: Yeah, and I, I think Hank was real close to signing with the New York Giants, but it was only a few dollars difference, and and the Braves offered a little more. I mean, listen, the Northwest, they didn't they have uh, the big unit and, and Griffey and A-Rod, A-Rod together yeah. at some point? Yeah. I mean, they were pretty darn good. They were really the talk of baseball, but it, it's harder because free agents don't want to go to Seattle. In the NBA, they might not want to go to Sacramento. It, it's kind of far off the beaten path. And you can only get so much if you, you know, unless you outspend everybody, but it's not like Seattle's outspending everybody like the Mets will, or the Yankees will, or the Dodgers will.
3: And let's bring this full circle and take it back to Christmas. I like a good gift for A's fans, long shot, building homes, dreams, and baseball teams. Steve shot the book you did about the former owner of the Oakland athletics. I think for a generation of A's fans, The 2000s, right? Moneyball team. All those players are so beloved. When we just celebrated them this year, the 2002 team, it was very emotional for A's fans. You know, we can talk about the 70s, but, you know, there's a lot of people in our fan base that weren't alive then. I mean, like my man Cody here, who is a producer for the A's. He doesn't remember 88, 89 and 90. He was a baby. I mean, that was when I was in high school. That's my that's my guys, right? I mean, when I get to do TV with Dave Stewart, I'm like, wow, it's Dave Stewart. But for, <laughs> but for a lot of our fans, it's that group of Giambi, Tejada, Hudson, Molder, and Zito, Chavez, and all those guys. And your book is about that era. So I think for A's fans, you're always looking, I always mention this, you're looking for a really good Christmas gift. Long shot, building homes, dreams, and baseball teams. The Steve Shot story, your book, I think would be great for people to give away as gifts for A's fans for Christmas.
4: Well, thanks, Chris. And it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's long shot. It's it, it take off on his name, but it's also deep with the Oakland A's, always a long shot, always overcoming the odds, always getting more bang for their buck. And it kind of tells an inside inside story that neither the Moneyball book nor movie did with, Paul D. Podesta, who, you know, in the movie wasn't Paul D. Podesta because he didn't even want his name attached. But for the book, he writes an amazing forward, and he puts it all out there and explains that he and Billy Bean were given the task of designing a roster with a, you know, a certain amount of parameters and budget because Schott and Hoffman bought the team. From the Haas family, which wasn't real big on budgets, so it was um, turned into more of a business plan. So there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that that people really didn't know about. I didn't even know about. And I covered the team that was uncovered about Lon Simmons, um, and you know he got a, he got kind of a raw deal there because everyone blamed him, and he is to blame. Shot, but <laughs> the funny story there is he never wanted Lon Simmons fired. You know, Lon Simmons said in a newspaper story before the season, before you know, right after his final season in Oakland, that he wanted to cut back on games played. And then Shot's uh, team president at the time, and it wasn't Sandy Alderson, called him up and said, "Okay, we're moving in another direction." And Shot said, "Wait a minute, no, no, we didn't want that. We just wanted fewer games, like Lon said in this newspaper article." So it was, it was. You know he, he got a lot of bad pr for some good reasons he wasn't used to meeting with the media all the time about baseball he was uh, you know he, he he built homes and and you know nobody has big press conferences if you build homes so <laughs> anyway you know it's kind of a it's kind of a rags to riches story about a guy who had 500 bucks in his pocket when he got married and then went on to donate more than 100 million dollars to charity and buy a baseball team and he he has the winningest Record of any A's owner in history going back to Philly and Kansas City and even Finley and the Haas family doesn't measure up with his winning percentage. If you remember, they contended six straight years after really scuffling those first two years, and you kind of push for you got to, you got to draft more pitchers. We you know we can't have Van landing them out, out, out. Not Van landing Who am I thinking of? The uh, uh, Van Poppel. Sorry, <laughs> neither amounted to much. Todd Van Poppel and, and that was like the face of the future. He said, no, man, we got to go different directions. So, you know, uh, Hudson, Mulder, Zito, and all those years later, they developed quite a staff and, and same with Giambi and same with Tejada, speak about homegrown talent. I mean, the A's had it at that, at that point, but obviously lost the two MVPs to free agency and eventually traded a couple of the pitchers. And we know that story, but this has a lot deeper, Um, You know, into the business practices, into the baseball practices, uh, uh, a lot of family background. So it kind of touches on a lot of things. Also, an inspirational read like the Mays book.
3: Well, congratulations on everything. HBO, books, you name it. Of course, reading you in the San Francisco Chronicle. We always appreciate it because you're our national baseball writer. You're giving us stuff nobody else is. And, of course, great stuff from the GM meetings in Vegas. We're going to be getting the same stuff. We'll be there in San Diego down at the winter meetings. We know we'll see you there. Good stuff. And uh, let's go sell some books. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Good seeing you guys. Take care, buddy. The great John Shea from the San Francisco Chronicle does an unbelievable job. And, um, yeah, Willie Mays. My grandfather played with Willie Mays at the end of his career, and I remember I talked to Willie Mays about it. Willie's a funny guy, but now Willie is. Last time I saw Willie Mays was in the clubhouse spring training, Scottsdale, Arizona, when we left the A's complex to go – uh, I was working at 95-7 the game. Went over to cover the Giants and do some stuff over there. Willie Mays was sitting there holding court. Uh, how old is – look up. How old is Willie Mays? He's got to be in his 80s. Uh, I
2: think he's 91. He's
3: 91. <clears throat> God, I wasn't even close.
2: Because I watched it. I actually watched the documentary. It's very good. And there's some stuff in there I had no idea about. Yeah, 91. He'll be 92 91. in May. Yeah. <clears throat> one of the best. Keep going, Willie. One of the best images from the movie, because I had no idea about this. Like, we've heard about the Bud Harrelson play where – our man Ray Fossey tagged him out at home, and I didn't know Willie Mays was the guy on deck. I caught, I captured a great image from the Wait, thing where Fosse walking away. You weren't away.
3: aware of what was going on in the '73 World Series. I, I
2: guess I missed the uh, the you radio breaking
3: cro- it down frame by frame.
2: Uh, I think my DVR froze then, and I missed that play. But yeah, I mean, I Your just satellite dish wasn't working in 1973. <laughs> they also talk about how Willie didn't even get a chance. Yogi wouldn't put Willie in at the end of the game to get in and bat, so Willie never even got a play in his last game. So it's I it's mean, really, really May- well done. I
3: mean. The, I mean, you look at it and you wonder, like, how the hell did that Mets team? I mean, obviously they had pitching. But, I mean, when Willie Mays is 42 years old yeah. or whatever and he's hitting third in the World Series for you, you're not a very good World Series team. But, what you know, it was Marty Lurie. He was sitting with our buddy Marty Lurie last time I saw him. They were holding court there in the middle of the Giants clubhouse. But, yeah, I mean, you look at that generation of players when you think of, you know, Clemente, you know, all-around players. You know, there's, there's guys that are always hit bombs. and But when you look at guys that could do it all, because Hank Aaron was a terrific outfielder too. But Hank Aaron was number one in home runs, number one in RBIs, and third in hits. He had 37-something hundred hits. Only Ty Cobb, Pete Rose have more hits than Hank Aaron. Amazing. You had Stan Musial during that time. You're, it was a dynamic group of players that came up, yeah, three thousand seven hundred and seventy-one hits. Look at that war. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're wars. I mean, but you know, it's funny when when Shay asked me, it's you know, who's the greatest player? You go, hey, I get it. We came up with all these fancy analytics to find out, you know, partially what's happening in baseball, but partially how do we judge the past? Who's number one and everything?
2: Uh, Babe Ruth, uh, one hundred eighty-three point one war. Willie uh, Mays, his war, 156.1. Henry Aaron, 143. See? I mean, you guys all want to come up with these fancy
3: analytics to find out who's the best. I know it's a different time. The world was different, whatever. But numbers are the numbers, whether it's F war or B war or the new
2: combined war. Oh, yeah, the new one Uh, was average war, a war. Whatever I think they, the, hell, yeah. We'll deal with it later. Uh, No one's going to be bigger than Babe Ruth. Yeah, even Barry Bonds, one hundred and sixty-two point eight WAR. It's not even close. No one's even close yeah. to Babe Ruth and WAR. One hundred eighty-two uh, OPS plus. Remember, hundreds league average. If you're one hundred eighty-two, you're oh, you're pretty exceptional. Uh, Babe Ruth was two hundred six. And Babe Ruth didn't <laughs> have PEDs. He's had
3: beer and had hot dogs. L- beer, liquor, and women. That's what <laughs> ba- that's what was going on with with Babe Ruth and. Uh, uh, I also thought very interesting and getting back to how we started the show today. Did you already said about Arizona where they're putting betting places inside the ballpark?
2: Arizona did it. I think Wrigley's trying to maybe do a, a, a parlor. We've got to
3: find a way to get people into our games. And it's just not about I grew up with the team. I love the team. I love the brand. It's wins and losses. You've got to find a way to attract people to pay attention to the sport. And let me tell you something. I know everybody speaks of the evils of gambling, but like I told you, fantasy sports has become a way for people to have communications with their kids, to have communications with their friends. My best friend is in a father and son league. My one buddy in Reno was talking about, you know, what's great about it. He was saying, we should all start doing it. It's a, it's a way friends, because as we get older, it's hard to communicate. It's hard to st- keep track with everybody. Not every, you know, Facebook was the thing, but not everybody does Facebook. And it's a way to you actually communicate with your buddies as you're in a fantasy league together. So people aren't watching football because the product's good. God knows Thursday night football on Amazon has been horrific. Some of these Monday night games, horrific. Some of the games this past weekend were dogs. So you're not watching it cuz the product's good. I mean, that's the thing with people act like people act like, "Oh, you're watching football because the product's great." My God, no! Some of those games Saturday on college football were awful. The main game Saturday, which I guarantee you got huge ratings, was a record-breaking crap game between TCU and Texas. They both at halftime. You know what their yardage was at halftime? I just know TCU won. I don't. Do you know what they No. Hundred and forty yards between two teams. It was six to three. You're trying to tell me you sat there for over two hours, watched a football game that was 6-3, to and at halftime between the two teams, there was only 140 yards. What's keeping people watching this when it's crap? Because let me tell you, there's a lot of times baseball's crap. Well, what's going to keep people interested? And no, it's not the fantasy. Our our fantasy people are nerds, right? That's the problem. Fantasy baseball's not cool. Fancy, fancy baseball for us is a saber conference in some of the middle. Who knows where? And these guys, like you, don't want to even talk to these people. Usually Arizona, I believe that's where they. Let's do it. get together and talk about all these math equations. And like what? Fantasy football's cool. We've got to make this thing cool. We got to make this thing fun. We got to make. I mean, there are kids who literally have four to five fantasy leagues going. Teenagers, teenagers. Five leagues. How much time are they investing? How much time are people investing in this? Way more than they should. But how much time? So, you know what? It means something to them. If you are investing hours each week into this, it means something to you. Well, what do we need to do that? You know, when the commissioner talks, let me get up there. Commissioner, I got a question. What do we need to do to have people spend hours a week? passionate about our sport that has nothing to do with just the actual game where I'm sitting and going to a game because people spend hours doing fantasy sports. That means they're into it. They're passionate and it means something to them coming out. We got Robert Murray coming up. What, what was his article about?
2: Yeah. The, well, he's at the GM meetings, but he also ranked his uh, top 25 free agents and obviously Aaron Judge is number one, but he was at the GM meetings. He's dialed in more than most people are. That's uh that's an insider, so we're going to get some insight from him on what free aids is where they could sign and uh, everything, everything around the league. But rookie of the year, uh, we, we pretty much know who's going to win those awards, but still. All right, we'll do that next right here on A's Cast Live.
0: Oakland Athletics spring training is right around the corner, and you can be part of the excitement. Get your tickets now and plan ahead for a fun-filled trip to Mesa, Arizona this spring. Pack the sunscreen, bring your friends, pick up some ballpark classics, and watch your green and gold get ready for the regular season. Get your tickets today to see the Athletics' take on the Giants, Padres, Cubs, Dodgers, and more. Tickets are on sale now at athletics.com spring. That's athletics.com
1: spring.
3: Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Well, it's that time of the year, folks, where we're going to have list after list after list. Like today, who's going to be rookie of the year? We're going to list, and we have all these reasons why Julio Rodriguez or Rushman's going to win the Rookie of the Year. But right now, it's a lot about free agency. And Robert Murray from Fansided joins us once again. I'm looking at your list. By the way, do you like doing lists?
0: I'm not usually a big list guy, but when it comes to free agency, we got got to do it, baby. Top 25, got to give everything, give the people what we're hearing. Life is good, man.
3: The worst, and I used to work with an NBA guy, and the worst was when they had to do their mock drafts. Like he hated it. He's like, and he was always like, listen, mock drafts, you never put out in your first mock draft what you really think's gonna happen. So when everybody says, oh, Todd McShay or Mel Kuyper's put out their first mock draft, they're lying. So that first yeah. that first one is never gonna be what you really think. It's the last one that you put out, like your your sixth mock draft that you think is going to be real. So I know these aren't easy, but for us, we live off this stuff because this is what's important right now, right? We just had the GM meetings in Las Vegas. We're going to have the winter meetings in San Diego. What It's what gets us excited in the offseason. And, you know, it's not, not, Robert, it's not too many times in our lifetime you're going to have a guy hit free agency who just hit 62 home runs.
0: No, that is mind blowing to me. Like, and you look at the market for judge and it's going to have all those big spending teams in it. It's going to have the Yankees. It's going to have the Dodgers. And I mean, those two right there are just powerhouses. You got the giants. Then you got the threat of like another team hopping into this race that could throw this thing even more um, offhand than it already is. But judge is going to get a lot of money. I'm telling you, I'm convinced that the number is going to start with a three when it's all said and done. Um, I still think he goes back to the Yankees, but the threat of another team stealing him away from the Yankees is very real. Um, can't rule anything out there, but, um, I I think the Yankees right now are the current favorite.
3: All right. You're very good at breaking news in our sport.
0: Try to be at least.
3: Okay. This comes down from your source that judges signed with this team. You're about to put it out on Twitter. What team would it be that it would blow your mind that he's signing with that team and that you have to hit tweet and you can't believe it?
0: Boy, I'm not going to go with the three teams that we just listed because I, I mean, those would kind of like, those wouldn't be like, wow. But if there was ever a team that could just throw this completely upside down, it's the Texas Rangers. And I'll give you why. Wow.
3: Now that.
0: See, <laughs> the there you go. I, I My answer ended up achieving what yes. we were trying to You
3: watch. know who I was thinking, which would be like the ultimate, it'd be like one of the best troll moves of all time. Well, that's the Red Sox.
0: Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? I'll tell you, if I found that out, I would, I'd probably, I mean, I can't say what I was about to say. <laughs> I, would, I would be legitimately stunned if the Red Sox ended up doing that. That would be one where. Um, I find out I get the shakes immediately. And like, that would be the the best troll move of all time. Um, but with the Reds or with the, uh, the Rangers, they spent big last off season on Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager. Obviously they're going to heavily target pitching this year. And it would not surprise me at all. If they ended up ending up with a, a top of the rotation kind of starter, like a DeGrom or a Carlos Rodon or anything like that. But they still need offensive help. Judge is sitting out there. Um, ownership has given an indication that they're willing to spend and spend big. So that's that's at least where my Rangers prediction came from. It's not based on concrete info, it's just based on like connecting those dots.
3: Cody, I gotta think that uh, adding Aaron Judge to the American League what, is that a mind blower for you?
2: I still don't think they challenge the Astros, but I think that's a that yeah blows my mind. That he, if he, him and Bruce Bochy.
3: If you tweeted that out, I'd just be like, oh, my God. So I, I, I'm glad I asked that because that would be mind-blowing. But, yeah, I mean, that that is something, you know, because we were there in 2019 at the winter meetings in San Diego, and we were right next to the Yes Network. They brought out a whole TV stage. They had all these different TV personalities there. And people need to know that at these meetings, when an Albert Poolhole signs or a Garrett Cole signs, everybody freaks out. That's going to happen, and when it happens. But you do think Judge in the end stays in New York?
0: I think that it is um, – I mean, I, I think that's the most likely outcome, but I also am not – it's not a lock that he ends up going back to New York. Let's just say that.
3: Fascinating. Like Once again, we've never seen a guy hit free agency that hit 62 home runs. You know, Carlos Carrera is so interesting to me. Because here we're, we're, we're all now praising the Astros again. Even though James Click is now gone, but they're, we're praising how they do business, right? They're smart. They spend money, but they don't spend crazy money. They got a lot of homegrown guys. They take care of them. They do business probably the best way you can do business now. All the technology, it's everywhere up and down their minor league system. And if we're going to praise these guys for being so smart, They got rid of Carlos Correa. They could have paid him. They told him to go away. They had somebody else. So I'm wondering, and here we'll see what the Minnesota Twins, because now they've had him in-house. They know what he's like. We'll see if they go after him big time. I just, you know, young superstar, hasn't always been so durable. Um, He's very brash. I like his game. I like that he stood up in the wake of the controversy of the cheating scandal, showed he's got some cojones, but why don't teams love this guy as much as you think they would?
0: I do think they love him um, just because like he's a world-class player and Carlos like Carlos Correa is just not um, actually Hang on, uh, sorry. We might have
3: Do we have breaking news? Are we breaking news right here live? Uh, maybe? Aaron Judge is signed with the Texas Rangers.
0: No, no, it's not, not going, uh yeah, not going not going to the Rangers, at least to my knowledge. But um I, I will say a guy like Carlos Correa, um, teams love him. Obviously he's tied to that cheating scandal and that um and and that may impact his market. Like a team like the Dodgers certainly is going or is not going to be involved, at least in my opinion, because of that and like the impact that it had on LA. Um But from every indication that I've gotten, the Twins liked Correa uh, and he liked the Twins. And I think there's mutual interest there for sure. Um, So, I I mean, I don't think a reunion there is the most likely outcome, um, but I certainly wouldn't rule it out. But um, I think what really could end up, I think what's going to end up putting him at number two in these shortstop rankings is that injury history of his um, because he's had a good amount of injuries throughout his career. And Trey Turner, for the most part, has been pretty durable. And a lot of these teams think that Turner's going to age better than Correa. Um, so I, that's that's where I get that one from. But I, teams do love Correa.
3: Bloom, I got to think, is on a short leash right now. Like Boston is all about winning games. Uh, they're about being a big market, big money team. They haven't exactly uh, been that lately. They're still a big market team. They just haven't been acting like it. And after losing Mookie Betts, and Mookie Betts goes on to do what he has done and to win a World Series, can can Boston afford just the PR hit? Xander Bogarts leaving again? Can Hein Bloom afford that?
0: I don't think so. Like that that uh, Mookie Betts one, that was a tough, tough, tough pill for them to swallow. Um, both from like losing a player like that because he's a, a world class player, and the PR hit and Bloom has ever since been called cheap and basically everything under the sun by Red Sox fans, and I think that was a big wake-up call for that organization, um, and they have made a, a concerted effort this offseason to make it clear that Bogarts is their plan one, two, three, four, and 5. Like, they want to retain Xander Bogarts. From my understanding, there has been little progress in those talks so far, but we got a lot of offseason to come. Um, basically, the GM meetings were – a lot of these teams kicking the tires and like getting these wheels in motion for a lot of their moves for the offseason. season. Um, so I would fully expect there to be movement in the coming weeks, but um, I, I do not think the Red Sox can afford to lose Bogarts because that losing him only a couple of years after losing Mookie Betts, that's tough. That's really tough.
3: How big of players are the Dodgers going to be? And what do they do with Bellinger?
0: That is a wonderful question. By the way, I can tell you, false alarm. Uh, we're not breaking
3: any news right now.
0: Uh, I figured I'd just give you an update on that one, but it was, a, it was a very interesting text.
3: I like Cody Bellinger coming to the A's. We're the king at rehabbing people's images and careers. Uh, you, you know, from the movie Moneyball, sounds like an Oakland A already. Cody Bellinger <laughs> sounds like an Oakland A already.
0: <laughs> I'll tell you, I, I like the fit. I like the fit in San right? Francisco a little bit more for Bellinger.
3: All right, all right.
0: Uh, my my apologies, my apologies, not to be the bearer of bad news over here. Um, but I, I think the Dodgers face a really difficult challenge and decision with what they're going to do with Cody Bellinger here. Um, and if it was me running the show, um, it, would be, it would be tough, but I think I would move on from a guy like Cody Bellinger, and he's surely going to have a market. There's going to be a team that offers him a one-year deal, um, trying to get him back. Um, to the to the way that he was before all of his injuries. And I think Farhan Zaidi in San Francisco knows him better than any other executive in baseball. And uh, I think that's a really good fit for the Giants and for Bellinger if that were to come. But I fully expect the Dodgers to be active this offseason. they got to be mindful of the fact that they have a lot of these young players coming up, and they don't want to block them this year and then long term as well. But I do think if you look in the rotation, they have – um they have holes to fill there they obviously have kershaw at least they're close to bringing him back uh offer the qualifying offer to tyler anderson i've wondered if they could end up doing a short-term deal for a guy like jacob Degrom, um along the lines of what they did with trevor bauer um uh, like a three-year four-year contract for about 40 million a year um i also i mean obviously the judge rumors persist um, they're a fascinating one, but I, f- I fully expect the Dodgers to be pretty active, especially um, only a few months ago the Padres ended up getting Juan Soto and Josh Hader and a lot of these guys at the deadline.
3: Yeah, the Dodgers' payroll flexibility. I mean, once they get rid of Justin Turner, that's $16 million right there. You know, Bellinger, that's going to be losing what you're going to have to pay him. So they're going to have a lot of money there. And yet DeGrom, DeGrom seems like a good fit because most teams – if they signed DeGrom to that big money, I need X amount of starts. I need net X amount of innings to get my bang for the buck. The Dodgers, though, with so much flexibility, eh, if he's not the most healthy and we get 21 to 25 starts, we know we're not going to get 200 innings, but we got enough guys to cover innings. We need him to show up in the postseason. Yeah, you know, when you don't need the volume, DeGrom could be a good guy for you. That's interesting. I mean, yeah, I just – L.A.'s going to have a lot of money, and if they don't have a bad taste in their mouth the way they went out – Robert, I still – this fries me. If I own the Dodgers, right, that that final game, when you spend millions in front office, you spend million in independent contractors, you got all these Ph.D. scientists, engineer guys breaking stuff down, you got all that technology – you're losing to San Diego in the end, and the guys on the mound are all making seven hundred grand. I got a problem with that. I'm spending millions for this brilliant think tank, and in my last game against the Padres, my guys on the mound, two of them were making $720,000. The other was making like seven hundred and fifty. dollars I got a problem with that. I need to spend some money, and I need the – I mean, that's how I would feel if I was an owner of the Dodgers.
0: You know – I totally feel you on that one. I think that's dead on because when you spend, when you spend that kind of money um, throughout that entire roster and you have some of the, I mean, obviously there's still talented guys. Don't get me wrong, but I'm a huge believer that in those key situations for the Dodgers or for any team, you live and die by your best, especially in the postseason. And if you can upgrade those positions, you can upgrade other different positions for them as well, especially with the rotation with how many holes they have there now. Um, I, I think that team would be further built to um, make it deep postseason run. But I will say this, the injury to Dustin May for the Dodgers, that was, they were, they had a pretty big role in vision for him. It may not have been as a starter because he was still not as built up late in the season as they were hoped just because they wanted to be really careful with that injury. But um they they did not have him available and that ended up like revealing itself as like a pretty big loss for them late in the year. Um so once once they get May back and once they end up prioritizing like adding another big name or adding complementary pieces throughout the roster, um, I think they're gonna be in better shape. But it's it's a complicated offseason for Andrew Freeman to navigate just because as I mentioned before, they gotta balance um spending big, but they also gotta like balance all the young guys that they have in the minor leagues. Cause they, the time is now for those guys. Um And they're, they're pretty adamant about that behind the scenes here.
3: So we, we talked Bogarts, we talked Correa, you still got Turner and Swansby out there. I and mean, are short, you need a shortstop. There's like a tree. There's like a money tree. And it's got shortstops on it. How, how yeah. do you, wh- how do you see those two guys? What are they going to do?
0: Boy, I'll, I'll tell you that the shortstop one is is completely fascinating to me, um, especially with the Dodgers. And you look at I, they still have interest in retaining Trey Turner, but that contract is going to be pretty pricey. Um, that I wrote earlier today that that contract, when it's all said and done, could be about eight or nine years for about thirty five million a year. Um, and do the Dodgers do that or do they go with a lower cost option? Of say like a, a Dansby Swanson type or a Xander Bogarts, um, and that would also afford them flexibility to uh, like spend more money throughout other parts of the roster. Um, the Trey Turner market, I can tell you, is massive, and the Dodgers they have extreme competition there. They got, I'm sure, the Giants are going to be involved to some degree because they're they're going to spend big this offseason. You got, um, I've wondered about the Atlanta Braves being a sleeper just because I think. There's, there's been rumblings that the Braves really like Trey Turner, but that being said, what team does not like Trey Turner? Um, the Phillies have been mentioned. The Mets have been mentioned. The Padres can never rule them out, especially with a player that AJ probably loves. Um, there's going to be plenty of competition there, and I wonder if it could end up pricing the Dodgers out of the, the Turner market. But that being said, the, the Dodgers have a lot of money to spend. Can't rule anything out there.
3: You mentioned the Padres. They've got the the two $300 million contracts, Tatis and Machado. You've got – I don't even know what Soto's going to get. I have my opinions on Soto. Maybe I don't think he's the greatest thing that I've ever seen. I think a lot of people in San Diego were frustrated with his lack of swinging the bat. Um, What could happen with San Diego this offseason? Could they maybe find a taker for Tatis Jr. and get rid of the contract? Could they move? I mean – San Diego doesn't have unlimited cash. This is not this is not a cash cow cable deal town. I mean, there's all there. You know, right? I mean, they're like market twenty four when it comes to television. Their TV deal with Fox isn't that big. So, like, could you see some movement with San Diego? One of the big three being moved?
0: I would be stunned. Um, I I can't see um, I can't see Tatis being moved. Everything that I've heard is that Tatis. A, a trade involving Tatis is not in the cards for them. Uh, Tatis is going to be a Padre. Um, and that's why I think um, it, along with the, um, the Manny Machado and the Juan Soto eventual contract there, that's why I think they're not going to be able to spend big on a player like Trey Turner um, or any other big player like that. They may be able to add like a bigger name to the rotation. Like that certainly wouldn't surprise me at all. We're not looking at like a DeGrom or a Justin Verlander type there by any means, but like, Um, maybe like a tier two starter for them uh, could make a whole lot of sense. But um, with AJ Preller, you certainly can't rule anything completely out just because that guy thinks in a way that not many people do. Like how many other executives in baseball in a 24 hour span would acquire Josh Hader, Josh Bell and Juan Soto like Preller thinks way differently than any other executive, but I think we got to tame expectations for what they do um, this winter um, just because, they went all in this past deadline and their farm system. They still got some, they still got some dudes there. Like Jackson Merrill is somebody that a lot of teams love. Um, But they also got to be mindful not to spend too much of the payroll here. So tame expectations, but still like a a decent starting pitcher should should not be ruled out for them at all.
3: And ship, uh, Hosmer off to Boston and pay forty three million dollars of his salary. Yeah, it was uh it, it was unbelievable. Let's end on this. I was just in Reno this past week on our guys' football trip where we just go and bet football all weekend long. But I just sat back and observed. And what I I'm listening to our group, I'm listening to other groups. You start talking to each other on the floor, the sports book, and so much of football now has nothing to do with who wins and who loses. It's, and it's not even really the quality of the game, because there's a lot of terrible games out there. Yeah. Everybody's talking about their fantasy team. And you got guys talking about their fantasy team with their sons, their, mm-hmm. their fantasy team with their buddies. The way that football, and football, and I'm trying to remind everybody, the NFL was against fantasy sports. The NFL was against office pools. Everything that's made the NFL great, they were actually originally against. But what they finally realize is this helps build our game. So you got all these people, you got teenagers who have four or five different fantasy teams. You got people gambling on the spot. You got everybody. There's a reason why people are hooked to football, and it's not about X's and O's and actually who's winning. And I'm trying to think for the Major League Baseball, the NBA. How do we? We're never going to do it at that level. But how do we get into that game to we make people and I know you're not going to have the answer, but I think we need to start thinking this way. So on a Tuesday night when the Mariners are playing the A's, people want to pay attention to why this game is going on. Other than yeah. you're a Mariner fan in an A's game. Baseball has to figure out a way. NBA. Ha- I'm telling you. You had the guy who uh, Embiid went for 59 for the Sixers. That game was in the sports book. Guy goes for 59. Not one person was watching it. So it's like, how do we get people to be so engaged in our games beyond saying, I like this team and I like baseball?
0: It's one heck of a question. Let me tell you that. And I'll tell you, like, I think a lot of it, It may, like, this is the argument that I hear from a lot of different friends of mine who are, who ask me, like, how can you work in baseball? And it all stems from the fact that the season is too long. Um, And you look at baseball or, and that's, that's what they tell me. You look at football, 16, 17 games now, um, you have 20 games or 21 games overall for each team. I mean, if they make it to the Super Bowl. Um, I wonder if um having less games would increase more fan interest um just because um, there would be more on the line with each game. Um but I would want to I would want to think about that answer more so I could have my opinion rather than like me saying what a lot of my friends say. Um but it's a it's it's a question that Major League Baseball needs to answer, um, and needs to answer it soon, even the NBA does, and we, we all know how popular uh, the NBA is too, but getting baseball to be even closer to what the NFL is, I think is priority numero uno for Rob Manfred. Um, I mean, the game's not dying. Like the the baseball to me is in a really good spot, but it could be so much better if they ended up doing um, things right. And I will say this too. One thing that really bothers me um, with baseball is the fact that they, um, sometimes limit the videos that can be circulated on Twitter. Like you see something that goes viral and all of a sudden, like six hours later, like the copyright owner has demanded that this be taken down or whatever. If you allow those and let these clips go viral, teams are not teams, but like young people, even people just trying to like learn more about baseball are going to be more inclined to watch and listen to it. And then maybe that increases the betting. Maybe that increases fantasy baseball. It's all about promoting your game. And I think baseball does a really poor job of that.
3: Well, we love having you on the show. You're absolutely fantastic. And I can't wait to when I'm following at by Robert Murray and my phone dings and you pop up and it says Aaron Judge has signed with the Texas Rangers. I'm going to be that man's a genius. He's a genius. It's like you got a crystal ball in front of you. <laughs>
0: I'll tell you if that happens, where you, all, all three of us, we're taking the next flight to Vegas, and we're gonna put like twenty grand on whatever. Um, so just get ready for that. It's, I'm gonna, I'll call you guys immediately
3: as soon I'm, as it happens. I'm telling the wife we're draining the kids' college fund and we're going to Vegas.
0: Darn right, I, I, that's exactly what you got to do. No hesitation, just send it. Let's do it.
3: All right, I'm buddy, it. be well. We love having you on the program. We're following you, of course. Fan it is great. Keep up the great work, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: And I appreciate you guys having me. Have a great day,
3: Robert Murray. He does an outstanding job, and yeah, he breaks all kinds of news. I did not. I I mean, I did not. There's 30 teams. I did not expect the Texas Rangers to be. That would blow people's
2: mind. I, I thought that they. You know, we heard rumblings of Degrom reaching out and wanting to sign with them, and. Well, Kershaw's now off the off the table. Uh, but reportedly, Kershaw's from there, yeah. right? Yeah. Like,
3: where, where is he from? Okay, him, first first of all, Arlington is not Dallas. For uh, Kers- so everybody to know, Arlington is is according to baseball. You can see Dallas from Arlington, but it's not Dallas.
2: He went. He is from Highland Park High School, University Park, Texas. But he was born in Where's Dallas.
3: Where's that? Uh, tri- that? In the is that in what they call the uh, triplex?
2: I, I've been to Dallas. I've been to that area once. It was this past year. Uh, he went to high school. I believe he went to high school with Matthew Stafford, the he quarterback did, of yeah. the Rams. So that there's a lot of connections. So he grew up that. in the
3: Dallas area. We'll yeah, say that. Yeah.
2: and Which, yeah, okay, you
3: grow up a Rangers fan. That made sense.
2: So those are the two guys you think, like, they need starting pitchers. But they have John Gray, and you have Leiter and Kumar Rocker coming up through the system. But you need guys right now if you want to win, especially after you hire Bruce Bochy. So I did not think they, – they, they. I thought they'd be in the market for, like, maybe another a lower-tier outfielder, not Aaron Judge. Wow. Him, Garcia, and. Um, make more money, no state taxes. Their outfit would be Garcia, him, and Tavares.
3: You know, you know, you know, it'd be great about that. Well, which would be miserable. Well, actually, you know what? It'd be kind of exciting, right? We just added another great player in division. I mean, if the Texas Rangers come to town with. I got his shirt on today, Marcus Simeon. Uh, Marcus, Corey Seeger, Judge, Otani, Trout. They're not moving Otani. That's that's garbage. Otani Trout. Do you think about that
2: J Rod in Seattle? And they'll they'll try to probably sign. You know they got they got Luis Castillo. They have Robbie Ray. W- 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 would you
3: would you not say Texas come to town on a I don't know weekend
2: with Aaron Judge isn't isn't doesn't spice it up some? I think so. You might even have uh, fans that people are fans of the National League and the Giants come over to see Aaron Judge play, and uh, boom because he didn't sign
3: with the Giants. I would be, it would be, it would be, we don't have a dog in the fight so we can say this. It would be so hilarious that we were sitting here talking about Aaron Judge, Yankees, the Legacy, Monument Park. You know, you're, you got a monument next to Reggie Jackson and Babe Ruth, all that kind of stuff. And then, um. Oh, the Giants. He grew up a Rich Aurelia fan. He's a Giants fan. His mother in law is still in the Linden School District and all that garbage. And then he signs with the Texas Rangers. That would be hilarious. The, the weather's comparable. Hila- it would be hilarious. Hilarious. Oh, all these, all the, he's all about the heartstrings and family and all that stuff. And he signs in Arlington, Texas. <laughs>
2: It would be, I mean, besides, ah, the, be great. besides the weather, you have a, what's to say, you have a Hall of Fame manager now leading the team. You have two huge contracts in, in Seager and and Marcus. You could maybe sign Josh Bell to play for, oh, no, they had Nathaniel Lowe. He had a good year this year. Nathaniel Lowe in those tight pants? Yeah, well, there's, that's that's more of a trend. Walker Bueller kind of started that trend. Uh, then I forget who And them. what's his name from Seattle? Cy Young Award winner. Oh, Robbie Ray. Yeah. Robert.
3: I mean, Robbie Ray paints his pants on for <laughs> yeah, God's sake. Yeah. Him and Bueller are the first two guys I know for Jesus, it's like, really? Is that comfortable? Uh, But if Judge, yeah, I mean, think about that lineup they would have. I mean, that lineup. I do think this. If you want the ultimate, I think the Mets is a great troll move, but that's going to be a New York thing. Same with Boston. And they don't play each other that often. No, it's it's different. It's a troll move still. I think it's completely different, though. Once nationally, once American League, they'll barely play each other. Right? Except so for the, yeah, the Subway series. They play like what, so three, what time, three games? Yeah, three or four I games? Yeah, I mean, it's ba- you're barely going to play each other. It'll be – that will be a New York-driven – we don't live in New York. Do you read the New York papers?
2: Uh, uh, the sadly, back page? Sorry, sadly, I'm sorry to our friends who work for the Times and the Post, but I do not read it. So it doesn't affect
3: us. Like, we would, like, see it. and eh, there'd be some stuff on Twitter. It would be the New York thing. Like – what was the do- – oh, the Jeter document, uh, the documentary on Jeter. The when captain. They, when they talked about the 2000 World Series, how much that meant inside New York. Like, we didn't experience that. Like, it's in New York. If you're not in New York, you're not getting it. But we would definitely I – when mean, we already get Yankees, Red Sox shoved down our throat year-round. If he signed with the Re- – if Aaron Judge signed with the Red Sox, oh, wow,
2: that would be the troll of troll moves. But Boston fans would still be pissed because they didn't bring back to re-sign Devers and they got judged. No, like, oh, no. No, they would. It's no, Boston. No, They'd they, be upset. No, they. There'd you, be one guy upset. You, Tom Brady's in Tampa. We've lost our big star. You got your big star now. Speaking of Brady, 2 and 0 oh, since he got divorced. Huh? That's that. That graphic's been going out on, on Twitter. The what? Brady, 2 and 0 oh, since he got divorced. Brady won <laughs> in Germany. <laughs>
3: uh, let me tell you something. Who got up at 6.30 in the morning at the Peppermill in Reno? uh, Scatting report, because God knows I wasn't up. I don't think you could get me up. It would have to be a playoff game. Like, what would have to happen for you to wake up? Uh, Then again, for some of you people, if you're a morning person, you don't count. For us us nocturnal, uh, non-normal, non-morning people, I don't wait. I like to sleep in. What would have to happen at six in the? What time do it was kickoff? Six or six? I think six thirty. What would have to what to get you up on a Sunday morning at six thirty? What kind of? It's got to me. It'd have to be a playoff game. I would say that, or <clears throat>
2: excuse me, that or the Super Bowl. A playoff game. Yeah. So, that, are we talking about football or are we talking about anything?
3: I'm not talking week 10. I'm not talking about playoff. I'm not talking about a, a
2: big series between the A's and somebody. Are we talking about just football or all sports? All sports. I'd I'd wake up to watch wrestling over there. They, they do, wrestling, WWE does a great job of putting on shows over there. Yeah, I'm not getting up for wrestling. Okay, well, yeah. there's So, not, there's not so we're going to keep it to the major four. It would probably be maybe the Olympics, and then I'd say a playoff football game. It'll be on tape delayed. My beautiful wife has the day
3: off, and she just brought me a uh, a coffee. How about that?
2: It's very nice of her to bring the coffee. What kind, what, what kind did you get? I have no clue, but uh, <laughs> I think it's a coffee.
3: Uh, Starbucks has gone. This was kind of tough. And, you know, you know how casinos stay with themes. The casinos are, you know, I was in multiple casinos. Uh, it, it, it's Christmas time, folks.
2: See the Christmas. We haven't can- even got the Thanksgiving yet. I have to worry about Christmas. Can you already. see that the cup? It's the Christmas Starbucks cup. They're already out. My wife's already asked me questions. So what are we doing for Christmas? Are we going to There's LA? There's
3: people. I don't know if people understand. Like where I live, this place called Willow Glen in uh, San Jose, very festive. So everybody does their houses up for Halloween. I got still do. I still have Halloween stuff at my house.
2: I saw the ghosts in the trees.
3: But uh, Christmas, it, people go nuts. They're like blocks. Everybody has has the walkway with the lights. I even do that. We have Christmas tree. I my whole block does a Christmas tree on the front lawn. I mean, everybody goes nuts. Where about at that time? I'm not ready for Christmas. Yeah, me I haven't even had Thanksgiving yet.
2: That's what I'm saying. It's like uh, someone told me, from it was my wife or one of my friends said that Michaels or one of the, the craft stores already had stuff up before Halloween. Wow. Oh. I mean, what are we doing? It's too early. I mean, can I get the Costco's thing?
3: already sold out all the Christmas their Christmas stuff that they put out. You know,
2: the big deers and the big all that all this stuff
3: is already bought out. It's gone.
2: Uh, thank God we we now use a fake Christmas tree so we can reuse it year after year. Um, That's weak. I live in an
3: apartment. Don't you want the smell of the Christmas tree?
2: We had it. We did it the first like four years we were together. Last year we bought a fake one. Okay,
3: you know what? Can we compromise? Get a little Christmas tree. Like a Charlie Brown Christmas tree? Like a little Christmas tree for your table. That will give you the smell of Christmas inside your house. All you got to do is put a little strand of lights on it so you have your fake tree, which I get, especially if you have allergies. I understand that. But but, are you we dealing with allergies? No. We're just, we're just, we're just not. So go get a little. You want me to buy it for you? Because I know that, you know, you're a little cheap. I'll buy you the small little Christmas tree. Um, I appreciate the sentiment, but we aren't
2: usually home for
3: Christmas. But don't you want to have the smell of Christmas for a few weeks while you're at
2: home? Um, I mean, it's a great, I love the thought. It's just, I'm home by myself most of the time. My wife works nights. Don't you want the smell of Christmas? (laughs) I've been putting the the oils in the diffuser for winter for you. Peppermint? That makes a thing of Christmas. No,
3: now I'm doing winter for you, so it smells like the holidays.
2: (laughs) That's very nice of you.
3: We have so much to get into. Yeah, Kershaw looks like he's back, so that t- take him off the free. Does that mean we're now down to twenty four?
2: Uh, yeah, I guess. And we're, remember, you told uh, Kylie McDaniel you would update his uh, top fifty free agents. I knew I will. have it in the house. Uh, so here's some stuff that we missed. Uh, Edwin Diaz obviously returned the Mets five years, one hundred two million. That's like old news. But did you see this though? It includes twenty six point five million in deferred payments that he won't completely receive until twenty forty two. Bobby Bo
3: all over again. So there you go.
2: Everybody does this in every sport. Not a big deal. Uh, Astros re-signed Rafael Montero. The, he was big for them in the World Series yeah. or the playoffs three years. Thirty four point five million. Robert Suarez back to the Padres. Five for forty six. Nick Anderson, who was cut by the race, who hasn't pitched since two thousand one. I thought he would be a great Oakland A.
3: Sounded like an Oakland A,
2: especially the price. Give eight hundred seventy five thousand for this year. Uh, Jesse Is Chavez. it a gamble? I think so. But if he pitches as well, it's it, it's it's a but low it risk, a high reward.
3: Is it I'm trying to I'm trying to give us a reason why we didn't sign him. Is it a gamble?
2: Yeah, I think it is. Okay. Uh Chavez back to the Braves. Jose Urena back to the Rockies. Blake Trinan. Jesse Chavez got how much? Uh three point five from what I saw. <sighs> oh no, sorry, one point two. Uh Jose Urena for the Rockies got three point five. Blake Trinan, shoulder, right shoulder labrum, and rotator cuff repair surgery sign-lighting him until at least 2024. Dodgers' bullpen is uh, sketchy at the least now with the whole Kimbrel situation. and But I'm sure they'll sign someone out there. By the way,
3: when that came – I think that came down while I was in Reno, right? Correct. It came up on my phone, and I was just like – I was really sad. I like Blake Trinan. Blake Trinan was, was actually really good to us, right? Yeah, still is. I mean, Blake Trinan was a guy that came over from the Nats – didn't know where the ball was going. Next thing you know, he had one of the greatest years. You could make a case he had the greatest year ever as a closer.
2: Uh, MLB now did a uh, they did a question on the on the show. What's your favorite reliever uh, reliever seasons of all time? It was last week, so I responded to the tweet with Blake Shrine in 2018. I mean. The only guy in my lifetime, like besides Eck, is the year Zach Britton had where he had a 0. .54 ERA. Yeah, but, but go look at what yeah. – tra- Trina was 0. .71 what, uh, or whatever? Blake Trina was 9-2 and 2 with a .78 ERA, 100 strikeouts and 80 in a third innings. Play. And he had all these saves oh, and yeah. wins,
3: and he was pitching two-inning saves.
2: I mean, his year – his volume was amazing. I, I think he had 38 saves. Let me let me just make sure that – I thought it was 11 wins. He was doing well. I believe it was 9-2. and 2. It was a – Point seven eight. It's, it's baseball reference is loading. Uh, two thousand eight year was two thousand eighteen. He went nine and two with a point seven eight ERA. That's an eight eighteen winning percentage in fifty and sixty eight games. Thirty eight saves, one hundred strikeouts, and eighty in the third. That's unbelievable. What year is it? Twenty eighteen. So right here, age thirty season.
3: Pitched in sixty eight games. I mean, it was a high volume. I mean, he had a lot of. Three out saves. He had a lot of pitch two innings. That's how he got all the wins.
2: Uh, his ERA plus that year, 100's league average. What do you think his was? Ooh,
3: <laughs> God, oh, I have no clip. Way... It'd
2: be a cool five hundred and thirty-one, five times better than the league average. And then I'll, let me look up Zach Britton. That year, Britton had was what the I think it was the same year where everyone got on uh, Buck for not putting him in the playoff game.
3: I don't want to get into it. But I bet if we went to Eckersley Cy Young and MVP year versus Blake Trinan's year, it'd be very interesting. Uh, was, and Blake got
2: nothing. Yeah, he. let me see. He finished sixth in Cy Young, eight, uh, 15th in MVP. And
3: his year, I mean, that was – got to admit, it was an incredible year. It was one year. But once again, his career is probably toast. Yeah, he's what now? He was talking, 34 going on 35. There is no operation like Tommy John for the shoulder. Once you mess up the rotator cuff, which holds the ball, your shoulder in back here, the three ligaments, there's three ligaments that hold your that hold the ball in. Once you start messing with those, you're never the same. You're just never the same. This isn't Tommy John, and then next thing you know, Verlander is coming back at 39 years old and winning his third Cy Young Award. You just do not – mean, look at Johan Santana. Look how great Johan Santana was and never the same. Once once you have a major shoulder surgery, and I'm sure there's some outliers out there you could throw in my face. What about this guy?
2: But for majority of guys, he'll never be the same. Uh, There's a guy that pitches for the uh, Washington Nationals might never be the same. That would be one Steven Strasburg. He's had shoulder problems. Uh, he's he, he didn't,
3: he's he, got – He's got the uh, numbness in the fingers. Thoracic outlet yeah, syndrome. He's yeah, he's
2: got all kinds of problems. I believe Dalton Jeffries just had that surgery. Tommy John, but he had the thoracic outlet syndrome.
3: I like the, by the way, DeGrom, as you know, as I am not a DeGrom guy. Correct. And it kind of reminds me of my, my criticism of Shohei Otani, which I know people think is stupid. But when you have a great talent that can't give you high volume in a sport that plays every day, to me, that's a problem. If you can't, if you, I saw a lot of horse racing this weekend. By the way, it is amazing the amount of theories people have on horse racing. Conspir- conspiracy theories? No, no, just how to do it. Oh. How to bet it, how that means. People are betting $2 trying to win 40 bucks. It's like, I'm looking at it going, I'm not sitting around here trying to win 40 bucks betting $2. But horse racing, and, and horses run every day, all day. There's a horse race going on somewhere around the world and you know that's why there's so many TVs on horse racing cuz there's horse racing going on everywhere. Yeah.
2: We got we got we got what's the track Golden Gate Fields? Golden Gate
3: Fields was running, Del Mar was running. They've got they had later at night they had they had they had uh, horse horse racing going
2: on in Australia. I mean, you can bet on it all over the world. Do you think that would be a good serious XM channel to play off the uh, NASCAR channel that we listen to on the way? when we're commuting together, do you think a horse racing radio would be interesting?
3: Oh man, you put jockeys and trainers on Sirius XM. Can't wait.
2: Um, I was looking as you mentioned the Grom pitching sixty four innings last year. The uh, Mets closer Edwin Diaz pitched in sixty two.
3: Yeah, that that this is my thing. Eleven starts for the Grom. In a sport where you need guys to be healthy and give you a lot of games. Your value, if you don't do that, your value goes down, in my opinion. And when you look at a guy like Shohei Ohtani, where we said, man, he's got to be in a rotation, a six-man. As of right now, he's in a six-man rotation. Where can he do that and the team be successful? There was one answer. Actually, there's really two answers. You could do that, but it's not going to happen in Houston. No. But they could do it. Yeah. The only place to do it would be L.A. Correct. Correct. And now I'm thinking about it, with that kind of same mindset, knowing that I'm not getting 30 starts, I'm not getting 200 innings from DeGrom, where does he fit? L.A. He, I mean, L.A. has so many pitchers, and they've got three other hotshot young kids that are coming up now. That's why they can kind of play this, okay, one more year at Kershaw, because they got these three kids coming up, They they they've got a when we we have talked about the stable of pitchers like a stable of horses, you're gonna need ten to thirteen guys in a season. It's just the way it works. So you could pay DeGrom big money because you got it, and you don't need him to take thirty starts a year. You can do twenty. Now, the big lie is people say, we just need him for the postseason, but then you don't allow your starters to go deep in the postseason, yeah. so it's all a lie anyway. Yeah,
2: so we five and dive like the rest We're of the guys. We're
3: tracking your numbers, my friends. You're a five and dive organization, so all this crap about saving guys in the regular season for the postseason, you don't
2: allow them to go in the postseason. But DeGrom would be a good fit in LA. I don't disagree with that at all. I think he could kind of rebuild his well not rebuild his image as a – Adorable starter if he can get to 25 starts, maybe. And then you pay him, you know, 30, anywhere between what, 34 and $40 million for three years. The Bauer deal, essentially. You give him the Trevor Bauer deal and you hope he stays healthy. He's going to be what, 30, 35, 36, 37?
3: Uh, okay, Bauer in average money, not Bauer in years. Well, Bauer's deal Bauer's, was three years, right? Well, that was four years with some opt outs or whatever. But I do not want to be on the hook with Jacob DeGrom for four years till he's 39.
2: It was three for 102. All right. You want to pay him till he's 38? Uh, probably not. You want to get him, I would say, a two-year deal for, I don't know, maybe, what, 80000000 million? I'd love to give him a two-year, but it's really a one-year. With a with a team option? Club option, I mean? I mean. Because that, that way you can pick it up if he pitches well. If he doesn't, you can let him go. All right, we'll
3: see what he gets. but And obviously, when I heard Jacob DeGrom's people have reached out to Texas, they're looking for the sucker. They are looking for the sucker. If you're Jacob DeGrom, you're on a Mets team that's about to be pretty good for many years. Yeah, they already won 100 many 100 games this year. And you got an owner that's going to spin, 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 spin. You got a manager pretty damn bright and pretty successful. He wears out his welcome, but that we're not at that point yet. 101 Mets won this year. Like, you're going to leave that to go to Texas? You know what he is? He's telling you, I don't care about winning. I want the money, and I want the sucker. Who's the sucker that's going to pay me? Who's going to pay me to not be completely healthy? Who's going to pay me not to be the guy who gets to the post? That's why I brought up horse racing. He's not the horse that shows up every race. I need this guy for 32 races a year. This horse is not showing up for 32 races. So DeGrom's looking for the sucker. By the way, James Click, we have we got a little bit of time. How about that? The GM of the team that just won the World Series. So supposedly I believe everything I read on the internet and Twitter.
2: Yeah, for sure Twitter. I know, it's, it's kind of sketchy now that we're having a blue check mark, but you gotta be careful. Well, that.
3: it didn't matter having a blue check mark in the past. They took mine away, so what does it yeah, matter anyway? Yeah. So James Click is offered a one-year deal, correct? Yep, correct. Goes to the GM meetings in Las Vegas and says, this is garbage.
2: Correct? Yep. From what we read, he spoke out at the winter meeting or GM meetings. But he didn't do it publicly. Uh, not that I saw, no. He
3: just, word got around he's not happy. That got back to the owner, and the owner fired him. And, or- the, and the
2: assistant GM, both gone.
3: Or said, we will not need your services anymore because when your contract's up,
2: technically you're not getting fired. Uh, Correct. I think they said his contract, like Cashman's, was up on, like, October 31st. We'll be moving on without you. Thank you for your services and everything
3: you did. I got to tell you, that to me, it's another thing that I'm working on. I haven't even told you about this. Well, you don't answer your phone at night. Your phone's on.
2: Uh, Do not disturb. Yeah. So I can't call you at night when I have an idea. Text. I look at my phone sporadically.
3: I mean, you think I'm going to sit here and type it all out? It'll take me forever. Voice memo. I got something I'm working on. And it was another thing I thought about this weekend when I was around football a lot. There is a different mentality in the ownership groups. Now, the ownership groups may be part of the problem. Because in football, owners want to be stars. Owners spend all this money to get into the game to be a part of this ultimate boys club. It's a stars club of billionaires, being an NFL owner. They're on the field before the game. They're down below talking to the media. They're, I mean, they're, they're omnipresent, the majority of them. You are going to see, I can tell you, working for the Raiders, Mark Davis would be on the field. The other owner would be on the field. Dean Spanos would be over there for the Chargers. Uh, Lamar Hunt's kid, whatever his name is, who now runs the pay, the pay. Clark Hunt. He'd be on the field. These guys are on the field. Robert Kraft. They're all there, unless it's freezing cold. They're all there for every game. A lot of them fly with the team. They're omnipresent. Who are baseball owners? Who are these guys? And it's not guys. They're groups. They're investment groups. And that, I believe, is something we need to look into. You question, do we have sportsmen? Guys who are – Jerry Jones is a sportsman. Jerry Jones owns his team. He's the general manager. Whether you like him or not, he's all in. Who owns the Dodgers? Multiple people. The Guggenheim group. It's a group. If we went around, if I actually went around and said, all right,
2: who owns the Miami Marlins? Well, it's not Jeffrey Loria anymore. Uh, it's a really good question. They also made news today, too, hiring the first female uh, president. Do you see what I'm saying?
3: Like, you could go around, and a lot of these teams are essentially owned by groups. And groups means it's an investment.
2: Bruce Sherman is the owner of the Marlins. There you go. Sherman-led group that purchased the Marlins from Jeffrey Loria for one point two billion. It's a group, so
3: it means it's multiple yeah. investors. So what do multiple investors care about? Multiple investors care about one thing, making money. As long as the team's making money, everybody's great. It's your investment. You don't have one guy out there going, it's World Series or bust, like you do in football. Football, these guys are all talking Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Super Bowl. Which owners are out there out front in front of their team in baseball, talking World Series, World Series, World Series. There's only a handful. Yeah. One of them, one of them's in New York. So it's like we have a sport that's run by a bunch of groups, and groups are like, hey, if we win, that's great. It's great. But did the investment go up and are we making money? That's what they care about. It's a business. And that's also, and that's something that Rob Manfred can't control. He can control the rules and try and change the game. Rob can't change how ownership works. Rob Rob can't say, I just want one guy, billionaire guy, and all he wants to do is be Steve Cohen. You know how people make fun of Steve Cohen? Oh, he runs his team like a fan. Actually, Steve Cohen runs his team like an NFL owner. He's out in front. He's out in front, talks to the fans. All these owners are out there. Mark Davis, I'd fall, I'd, Mark Davis is going up, talking to fans. I mean, he, he's omnipresent. He's there. Like him or not, he's there talking to fans, high-fiving people. He's there. Charles Johnson, the San Francisco Giants, has never spoken a word. He's the managing money guy for the Giants ownership group, and no one's ever heard a peep from him. You usually hear from Larry Bear. It's always come from Larry Bear. Down to Farhan. You never hear like we do not we do not hear from the power brokers in Major League Baseball. They're not out there saying World Series are bust. Don't hear from them. As long as they're making money and that to me is what's allowed these GMs to now come in and they're doing the same thing. I want sustainability. I want to win and I want to keep all my draft picks and want to keep my and I want to keep my uh, and I want to keep my prized prospects. And I just want to be good. And if I win a World Series, that's great. But I just want to be good for years and keep my job and have this sustainable outcome with my organization. Dave Dombrowski showed us once again, I'm all in to win the World Series. Most of these guys, that's not what they're all in on. They they the Orioles would not part with we're not partying, Oh yeah. Orioles had a shot. Won't the Orioles stink this year? Could happen. Once the Orioles stink, you had an opportunity to go for it and you didn't go for it. Because you don't have sportsmen who are running and owning these organizations. You don't have guys going, hey man, this is our shot. We're all in. Let's try and win it. That's the problem with baseball. That's also a problem. Like we, you know, you've got groups. You've got investment groups that own these teams. And, and even though, like, in a, in a, a like the Warriors are owned by an investment group. You got Joe Lacob, who's the face of it, and they're talking NBA titles. So there are groups that are like it's all about winning the NBA title. But a lot of them are like, man, who owns the Brewers now? Is that Bud Selig still? See, that's still his people. Is that Mark? Uh, it's not him
2: anymore. I don't Mark Anastasio. Right? Let me see. Brewers owner. Yeah, Mark Anastasio. Who? Sixty-four year old. Uh, from the Bronx, who is the principal owner of the Brewers? In two thousand four, he reached a deal on behalf of an investment group to purchase the Brewers from the family of Major League Baseball Commissioner Bud Selig. It's a what? Uh, baseball investment group. Steve Cohen's not an investment group. No, I mean like who? Uh, the Dodgers is like what Magic and Peter Goober, who also owns the Warriors, part uh, of the Goober's owners.
3: Out, I mean, they're all small owners, it? I mean it's the Guggenheim Group. It's, it's a bunch of there's investment only, guys.
2: There's only a few teams I can think of in baseball that are owned who by. Who owns
3: the Rangers? I mean, we're asking these – we have no idea. We work in the sport. We have no, Who are these people? What
2: group owns the Rangers? Is uh, oh, that hockey? Uh, let's see. Let me, let me do Texas Rangers. I don't want to confuse it with uh, the New York Rangers. Wait, mm, that's not helping me. I'll find it. Like, the Pirates owner is Bob Nutting. Is it him or an investment group? No, he's, he's the owner. Uh, so he's just not – it says my the majority owners are Rangers Baseball Express. Huh? That's what it says. Who? This is, this is according to Wikipedia. Uh, John Daniels is not the president of Baseball Ops. He now works for the Rays as an advisor. So basically the Rangers are owned by a group. Uh, yes.
3: Yeah. Well, there you go. We have a bunch of groups who own our teams. And that, to me, not a problem, but it just, from a standpoint of getting up and saying, what is the mission of my team? We go to spring training, what's the mission? The mission to win the World Series because we know we got owners all around the NFL who show up and they Arthur Blank like you can just start thinking of all these guys who own these teams. They tell you it's about winning the Super Bowl.
2: We never hear Rangers Express. Who? What are these people? <laughs> That's what it said. Uh, Rangers Baseball Express or something like that. They didn't even mention names. That might be the issue. That
3: might. And I want to I want to investigate this a little bit. You know, investment groups are what own baseball teams. Investment groups they'd like to win a World Series, but they like. More importantly, money be made, and the franchise value goes up.
2: Rangers Baseball Express, LLC, Ray Davison, Bob R. Simpson, co-chairman. Who? Yeah. Uh, so we know Jim Crane owns the Astros.
3: And Jim Crane is about winning. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and, and he was sold a business plan on how to do it, torched and burned the organization, and then they built it back up. But he's been about – I mean, he's been to four World Series – and six league championship series. He's all about winning. And what's interesting is he's out front, he's talking. I mean, God, he's even talked down here at the ATT when he's played in it. And he runs his team more like an NFL owner. And you know what he just said? The GM, it's not about you. We'll find somebody else. It was a very um, NFL owner type move.
2: And apparently, from what I read online over the weekend, uh, David Stearns, the former Brewers president of Baseball Ops and former Astros assistant GM, said he is not interested in that job. And I, and I just Googled, who could be the Astros' next GM? And Sports Illustrated had an article. Who do you think they said Jim Crane could call to come back? Who could be the manage, general manager of the Astros? Jeffrey Lunau. Jeffrey Lunau. No way. Those are all his guys that won the World Series. No way. I agree. He's not coming back. No, but hey, AJ Hinch is back. In the l- game. Look
3: how crane runs his business. Dusty Baker. You want to come back win the world series and we'll give you a one year deal
2: to come back. <laughs> and
3: then after that, you're going to get one more year. I mean, he's holding people accountable for wins and losses. You may not like him. I don't know. I, I know a little bit about him. I mean, he, Jim crane, Basically was given it was like ten, twenty thousand dollars. I actually have a good friend who know Put it this way, Center Bar Hills Golf Club. Jim Crane's brother in law used to play out there and be a member. Their family gave Jim Crane like ten, twenty thousand dollars and he turned it into billions. He's obviously very good at what he does. He's an
2: oil guy, right? Oil no, tycoon. No, no, no.
3: He does uh Does he do shipping?
2: He's like shipping and. I'm going to read on Wikipedia. Crane worldwide logistics and crane freight and shipping. Yes. Yeah, he's a logistics
3: guy and he's worth like five billion dollars. But Jim Crane, he runs his ship. Right. Jim Crane stepped right up. And whether you believe him or not, I don't know. But Jim Crane said, "What's he worth?"
2: Uh, the Google tells me one point six billion. I think he's worth. He's worth more than
3: that, I thought.
2: But whatever. He runs. He runs his ship.
3: AJ Hinch, you're gone. Loon out, you're gone. You're in. I mean, he's running and he's taking control of the business. And look at what he did with James Click. You're
2: gone. Hell, they have they had a deal in place to get Wilson Contreras at the deadline. And he shot it down.
3: It's it's very Yankee like, if not NFL like.
2: Because you can see an NFL owner gets rid of a GM like it's nothing. Yeah, meanwhile, the Yankees, who haven't been in the World Series in 09, keep running. I mean, no offense to Brian Cashman, but you haven't won since 09, and you should be on a different standard, and yet they keep bringing him back. Where all these other, like the guy that just won the World Series is let go, but Cashman's coming back yet again. So, two things today that have been important
3: one is engagement with the game. How do we get people more engaged in the game and it's not about your fandom i grew up in the east bay and i'm an ace nope how do we get you to be like man i gotta watch that brewers
2: royals game robert murray had a great point and i agree with him about the clips on social media that's the thing another thing and the blackout date the blackout games on mlb tv if you're a fan of a team, you can't watch it in the market, what's the point of paying for a subscription? That's a big thing we see all the time. That's another way to reach your audience. I understand what you're saying, but you guys are talking about eyeballs. That's all you're talking about
3: is viewing. I'm talking about how do I get people to get engaged with the game? You spend time every week putting your roster together. For You, you have to take time at some point, to put your roster together for fantasy football. If you have players on a bye, you got to switch players out. It takes time. You invest time each week on your fantasy football team. That has nothing to do with videos. That has nothing to do with blackouts. Correct. You're taking non—you're investing your time. People spend hours on their fantasy football teams each week. It's an investment. It means something to them. How do we get baseball to engage with its fan base? Maybe we get to the forefront of this. I don't know, but that's what we need to do. We need people talking to each other about baseball because people will sit like, I mean, I, hell, I've been, um, I've been at high school football games and dads were talking about fantasy football teams. And they're doing, once again, they're doing it with their kids. Moms are doing it with their kids. I mean, people are, it's, it's a way that people are, are are communicating with their friends and the whole thing i'm just it, it is what it is we've got to figure out how we get baseball to start engaging with its fan base beyond just watching a game beyond just saying hey we need to we need to uh we need to go to the ball game today we need what? Why are you gonna? Why do you? Why are you gonna at least pay attention? Why are you gonna at least go online and look up what the box scores were of Mariners A's on a Tuesday night? There's got to be something that draws you in. We know fantasy football works. Fantasy baseball has got to be changed if we wanted to do that. There's got to be something that we've got to hook young kids, get them involved, get them doing it. Whatever it is, I don't know. I just know that's our pro- Our problem is not bigger bases. I, you know, I mean, shifting, yeah, going to be great. Pitch clock, going to be great. How do we get people of all ages to be more
2: into the game? And it's not just about watching first pitch. Well, one thing quickly before you get to your second one. Uh, the 49ers do a nice job of this uh, at Levi's Stadium. They have the Yahoo Sports uh, Lounge for fantasy sports. Why not put that in a the ballpark? There's a way to engage your audience. People can hang out in there, watch the game that's going on in the field, but also watch what's going on around the sport. I think that'd be a nice start for teams. Not every team's going to want to do that, but we also see teams are putting sports books in at Major League Baseball stadiums. Number two
3: is this is going to be a project this offseason because what are we coming out of? We're coming out of a pandemic, a shortened season. We're coming out of a lockout. You know, the past couple of years, baseball has had some stuff thrown at it. Pretty crazy. You had a shortened season because of a pandemic. Then you kind of eased into what would be a normal season, which you thought. And then right after that, you had a lockout. So you've had some craziness come your way lately in baseball. But now this is going to be the most normal off season. We don't have a CBA problem. We're having winter meetings. We just had GM meetings. We're not doing it by Zoom. Money's rolling in. But we're we're seeing how teams have operated. A lot of big market teams have gone on the cheap, playing their version of guys with money, but we want to play money ball. And it hasn't worked. Jason Hayward
2: finally officially uh, let go today. Uh, I was going to get, we'll save that for Wednesday, but sounds like an Oakland A already.
3: Jason Hayward. He was the 184 million. Don't let his numbers really tell you the story. The analytics will tell you how good he is. And he was a flop in Chicago.
2: He had his uh, OPS this year was like 556.
3: So, We're going to follow how these teams operate. You know, John Shea told us the A's are going to spend more money. Like to hear that. But we're going to follow how, and that's why I brought up today, you know, do we have sportsmen or do we have investment groups? Who's making the decisions? Because clearly in our sport, it's been very obvious that a lot of decisions have been made by investment groups. It isn't this, we all want to win the Super Bowl. I mean, how many teams? That's you know. I I look back now. I respect Dave Roberts for going on Dan Patrick and say it's it's World Series or bust. Good on you. It's what you should do. AJ Preller. I don't even know who owns the Padres.
2: Uh, Peter. Is it Peter Seidler? Might be a group actually. I think it might be Seidler and is Ron Fowler, Peter Seidler, chairman and owner. Peter Seidler of a group. There's multiple guys. Well, wasn't it Fowler, Ron Fowler one of them too? They have multiple people, but whatever. AJ Preller, he went for it. Good on you. I think he's the only one now. Fowler was up till 2021, according to Wikipedia. They're all in. No, say, say
3: his family. There's multiple members of the family, but whatever. Um, that's what it's about, right? I mean, isn't this about winning championships? And I can understand certain teams, like what we're doing as well, we're going to go through this to try and get back to what we have been doing the past few years I was trying to win a championship. But, yeah. Oh, so the Giants want to spend money now. Well, why didn't you want to spend money the past couple of years?
2: Fair point. You won 107 games and regressed to 81. That's a, that's a what is that, 26-game difference? Boston Red Sox, you won a World Series, then fired the
3: guy that won the World Series for you to bring in a guy so you could go cheaper, more mainstream.
2: And then that guy got another job and took another team to the World Series.
3: So it's like, we're going to follow these teams and these ownership groups. I mean, it's crazy. Some of these owners you've never heard from. So we'll follow that. How is baseball? It's kind of like, because it's what you need to do in business. You need to see who does it best. And you need to follow their business practices. Wouldn't you do that in any other business? You'd say, who's the best at this? Well, if they're the best at this, what are they doing that we could do that could help us be better at business? That's a pro- I don't have to go to business school to figure that one out.
2: Well, let's say about the NFL, the NFL is a copycat cat league. league.
3: Well, if the NFL is so successful by leaps and bounds, why wouldn't we try and figure out we can't do what they do cuz their sports different. And we don't have some of the issues. We don't have the concussion issues. We don't have the violence issues. We we don't have a lot of stuff that they have. But they do a lot of stuff that we don't do. How do we And we're not going to be able to completely copy them, but maybe we can take some of their business practices and implement it here to make us bigger, better, and stronger. Why not? How do we get fathers, sons, fathers, daughters, mothers, son, and daughters, an all-moms league, an all-dad's league? How do we get all these people? Because that's what fantasy has brought. It's bringing people together. It's just not watching the games. You don't have. You can win your fantasy week and not even watch a game. Correct. You can. I did it while I was in Iceland. So this whole it's one game a week, one game a week. They're playing every week. They're playing almost every day now. You're playing Sundays, but see that one game a week is like you act like at one o'clock I watch my team. Now people are watching every game. From the morning all the way till night. Then they're watching Monday night. Then they're watching Thursday night. If you put it on Wednesday night, they'd watch it on Wednesday night. You put it on Tuesday
2: night, they'd watch it on Tuesday We already night. saw it on Tuesday night. So during the COVID year, when the games were being pushed back, we saw games on Tuesday night. So it was a game literally on like every night of the week. So we
3: got to figure it out. We're working on some stuff this offseason. We'll be back on Wednesday. Correct. Who do we got? Uh,
2: I haven't worked on it yet.
3: We'll be back on Wednesday. We want to thank we want to thank the great John Shay and we also want to thank Robert Murray from FanSide, uh Fanside, follow him, at by Robert Murray. You didn't even put up John Shay stuff. At John Shay, hey. And of course his books are fantastic and also the series he has about Willie Mays on HBO. Thank you for watching Ace Cast Live. We'll see everybody Wednesday.
1: The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than the Last die Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here and my friends at Last die Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Die Bar is the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fosse line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdiebar.com or follow them on social media at Last die Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdiebar.com That's Last Dive Bar.